Monica here. Welcome to the Data Podcast for Nerds, where we get to talk to amazing professionals and learn about how they use data to solve the world's problems and to uncover and highlight some data careers that you might not have thought of previously. And of course, we always include some fun bits because we're all nerds here and we love to have fun. So today with us, we have Connor Ferguson. Welcome, Connor. How are you doing today? I'm great. Uh, Just enjoying maybe the last nice day of weather in Phoenix, Arizona. So really leaning into it and trying to keep the AC off as long as possible before you're in AC land for the next, what, four, five, six months. So have you managed to uh, keep it off? Yeah. I'd like to say yes, but okay. no, it, there's been some pretty tough, hot days so far. There have. I think I turned my on maybe two weeks ago. <laughs> but you're right. It is starting to heat up very quickly. So pool time, though. That's true. Yes. <laughs> Awesome. So we always start the show off by uh, understanding people's origin stories. So how about you tell us about yourself and um, how you got to where you are today in your career? I started with getting into analytics. It was really an unintentional journey. Um, I was working overseas for three years, actually, and an old superintendent of mine became friends and he hired me to help build an American international school just outside Singapore in Malaysia. And I was there for about three years in different positions. Uh, A lot of it was liaising with architects and engineers to look at some of the schematics that were designed and say, does it really apply for a K through 12 school? A simple example was, hey, maybe you should have water fountains that are a little bit lower so kids can actually drink from the water fountain. These are the kind of things you don't really think about when you're looking at just bird's eye view of building something. You know, the experience was awesome, but we just were the recipient of so many supply chain issues where the flooring came first, that should come last. Uh, we ran out of steel beams because of supply chain issues in, in China. And I just, I knew there had to be a better way of managing this. So started my MBA not too long after that and focused on supply chain. Fell in love with just the Toyota production system, Kaizen, uh, which is continuous improvement. And, and a lot of that stuff spoke to me just implicitly and gave me a, a vocabulary of a lot of the things I, I wanted to get better at and communicate, but didn't quite have the lexicon for. I interned between my first and second year of my MBA for a startup in Cincinnati and you know, walked into an archipelago of spreadsheets and Tableau dashboards and didn't know which one was which. It was a really frustrating time to have all this knowledge and want to, to share and add value, but be inhibited by access to information. And said nicely, I was pretty low on the BI team's ticket queue. So I, I had to pivot in trying to add value that summer, but I didn't get to do a lot of the supply chain formulas and calculations that I had just spent the last year studying. So I knew there, there had to be a better way for me to, to get access and control over my own destiny. And uh, I figured the best way to do that was getting access to the information. I needed the ability to ask and answer my own questions to systems without needing to rely on anyone. So I took every course that had data and analytics in the title 
and just fell in love. This is super nerdy, but I feel like programming is the closest I'm going to come to actually doing magic, like fantasy ah. magic, not <laughs> you know, illusions. Uh, I'm still in awe of you, know, you writing something in terminal or asking a question in SQL to a database and it just does it. Text can make something else do something. And I, I, I find that really powerful and, and, and really cool. And I, I'm still very much in, in love with that. Um, but I specialized in business analytics while I was finishing up my MBA and was hired into my, my first role um, as a, really the first supply chain analytics or first analytics resource at kind of a, a medium company. Worked on some really fun projects while I was there. Was there for three and a half years. Then was working in a startup in uh, Manhattan for a little less than a year and was part of the whole the tech layoff uh, I guess, uh, group of people. Luckily, I had access to the data, so I knew it was coming yeah. and was able to get ahead of it. And another another trick is if your if your work starts to move a little bit upstream, maybe just be a little bit. Oh, I wonder why sales wants to see it this way now, uh, especially if they're very comfortable in their Salesforce ecosystem, why do they need BI now um, mm. or analytics now? So that was another good indication that maybe I should start networking before I need to network. Uh, I was lucky enough to start consulting in early January, uh, right after I had to say goodbye before a lot of us really wanted to. And have been consulting for a seed round medical device ordering company, just rebuilding their Snowflake warehouse, working on an embedded analytics project, and have just implemented DBT. So doing a lot of fun things there. Um, I guess when I'm not working, I'm a big uh, reader. I love okay. being pretty bad at guitar and <laughs> making spreadsheets out of things that maybe don't really need to be spreadsheets, but I have fun doing it anyway. Uh, yes. <laughs> a lot of us do really love making spreadsheets and lists. I know I do. Um, writing things on your to-do list just so you, that you can check it off. It's, I don't know why that's such a thrill, but it is. <laughs> so, okay. I thought a lot about that actually. And <laughs> I think a lot of data people are mm -hmm. control people. And I agree. <laughs> they they love control. They love their database in the format they've designed. They love their naming conventions. They like order, and I I think it's a really fun way to feel a really simple way to feel powerful. Like I made a task. I checked it off. That's a that's a good feeling for a lot of people, including myself. I love doing that sort of thing. But I think a lot of data people are control people. And I think that can get in our way sometimes too. Um, as I've become a little bit more senior, I'm really trending more toward like messy analytics. Okay. And, and answering questions maybe 60% of the way, is, you know, getting 100% of the way really isn't, the ju juice isn't worth the squeeze um, Yeah. for a lot That's of those things. So I, I guess said more eloquently, I index on velocity rather than completeness. Okay. So trending with this, how in your role do you use and define data? You talked about messy analytics, and I want to get into that a little bit more too. But um, what does data mean to you? I think it becomes data when you start collecting it. 
it's, I think a lot of things are data, but until it's collected and put somewhere, I, I like to think of the data, how I like to think of data starts there. Yeah, a very utilitarian database centric way of thinking about it, but yeah, that's usually when I see it. <laughs> yeah, because if it's just, you know, in the cloud or wherever it's going to be hanging out, then it's kind of like the philosophy of does it really exist? You know, if a tree falls, is there any sound, right? Is, is there anything there until you obtain it? Uh, extract it from that and put it into a place where you are starting to go and use it, then it kind of becomes data. I completely agree. And, and well said, I, again, my lens is very practical rather than conceptual. Mm -hmm. I think you could probably stretch the definition of data to really mean anything. Um, but where I, my lens really comes into data and seeing it add value and for it to have value in any shape or form it needs to be consistent repeatable stored in some some spot so that's how i like to, to think about it so with that how do you use data like pro what projects do you work on you talked about this messy analytics and i want to get a, a little bit more into that and what that means i think i followed a very similar trend that a lot of new analysts or engineers follow in that Everything needs to be perfect. Everything is a dashboard in some shape or form. You meet people at 100% of their requirements, regardless of cost. And even if it takes two months, you, they don't see it until it's 100% done and, and beautiful. And if you're working at a high growth company, especially a young company, it, I would argue that by the time you're answering some of these questions, the business has, has really moved on. Mm -hmm. from like what you've built. When I say messy analytics, it, it's really an, an indexing on, on velocity. If someone asks you a simple question, how can you get them the question as fast as possible? How can you get them an answer? It may not be a perfect answer as fast as possible. Let's say 40, 50, 60%, you have something in Excel as a, or as a CSV for them to just consume. And oftentimes once they get that, you start the ownership journey there too. And you start to build a little bit of trust uh, a bit earlier as well. And oftentimes their questions and the answers they need change. So their requirements you gathered early on don't fit for where they are now. And if you had worked on those, it doesn't really answer anymore the, the new questions they had. And now there's this lag of, oh, I spent a week answering this one question that's nice to have for you. And now you don't even need it. So th that's, that's really what I mean by messy analytics. But how do I use data to solve problems? Well, I guess something I've done recently is I'm kind of finishing up my, my consulting contract right now and uh, have been looking for my next full-time opportunity. And one of the things I love doing was building a compensation compare, comparer. And as someone who was fortunate enough to get a few offers last week, able to put the offers side by side together and just look at the total compensation package. It's not crazy anal analytics, but mm -hmm. it, it helps remove the emotion from this process. It's a, it's a really emotional time to put yourself out there to, to sell yourself, especially in today's market where it's tumultuous at, at best. And sometimes you need a little bit of perspective from maybe a bad conversation you had, or this didn't quite go so well. And 
you zoom out and just look at the total compensation, look at the numbers, always helps ground me in some of the decisions I'm making. And if you're choosing a company or choosing an offer that might not have the best compensation package, that's there in front of you. And there's other reasons you can explore uh, otherwise. So that's one kind of recent example. Um, a fun one is when my, my daughter was born, I was trying to predict when she ate and when she went to the bathroom, if that had any correlation with how long she slept. And best I could, best I could determine is she's random. Their <laughs> babies are just chaos. Okay. Um, <laughs> so it, it, it did, it told, it told me nothing, but it did give me a sense of control. Oh, she went to the bathroom this time. Oh, we fed her this at oh. this time and helped me feel a little in control at a time when you are very much out of control. Um, when you're first having a kid, you're never, you're never ahead. You're always behind. And it's, mm. it's pretty, it's pretty humbling. Every time you get comfortable, they change. I wonder so, if that, you did that same analysis on yourself, if you would come out with the same outcomes where it's just, there's no predictions. It's just chance. I, I could say with just a cursory guess that um, anytime there's beer involved, I probably might be grumpy the next day. So. <laughs> right? I feel like uh, we're more predictable and like, I know I won't eat like a cookie at the end of the night because I want to go to sleep or something. Right. So, you know, yeah. your bodies and whatnot. So I would be curious. That's your, that's your homework. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I love homework. So I'll, um, <laughs> I'm weird. I like doing that stuff, but yeah, I think there's some really healthy habits and you can use data and data entry and the discipline of data entry to help promote, if not a healthier lifestyle and a lifestyle that's observable, right? And you can start to remove some of the guesswork. And as long as you're being disciplined in what you're entering, you can learn a lot about some of your patterns. Oh yeah. I was scrolling on whatever social platform you use until 11 o'clock last night. Funny how I didn't get a great sleep as opposed to I'll leave my phone in the other room and now read before bed. These are all data points that probably come up on your Apple watch anyway, but you don't need a sophisticated device to enter that into a simple Google sheet spreadsheet, right? It's, it's not, not hard to do. That's a good point. I want to start getting into our fun bits section. Sure. If that's all right. All right. Fun bits. All right, so you mentioned that you lived all over the world before. And so I'm curious as to how that really affected your ability to be analytical with all of your experiences and different perspectives than everybody else. How did that make you a better analytical data professional? I think the more you learn about other cultures, the more you learn about yourself. And my background is interesting because I'm, yeah. American and have an American accent, but I actually spent nine, 90% of my pre 18 life overseas. So I came back to America to go to undergrad and essentially was a foreigner in American culture. I didn't really understand it, but everyone thought I did because I have an American accent and, and look mm. like, like I do. So it was really interesting to have missed some of the cultural and pop phenomena phenomenons that just everyone knew it's just implicit in your experience as being a teenager in this country uh i wasn't there for those so i had to learn a lot just through osmosis and doing a lot of research um oh like boy bands like what's going on there 
am I a backstreet or instinct? Like what? Yeah. I hadn't made that choice. And that's important. <laughs> uh, there's this quote online that I've kind of sort of modified about, you know, comfortable being uncomfortable. And I'm not, I'm comfortable. I'm uncomfortable being uncomfortable, but I do it anyway. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I, I've always leaned into things that challenge my assumptions. And one, I just find it interesting. Other people's perspectives, as I had mentioned earlier, I love learning about why I think about things in a certain way. And a lot of that is your upbringing and just part of your programming that you don't necessarily have a say in. And why is my knee-jerk reaction like this? Oh, it's because my parents had this opinion. We lived a certain way or of a certain socioeconomic class. And just living around the world helped me challenge those assumptions and at a minimum, just acknowledge them, right? Mm -hmm. Understanding where you are. So I, I love learning about different things and I love challenging myself even when it's hard. And I, I think too, especially overseas, when you're around different people with different beliefs and different cultures and different norms, one of the things I miss a little bit is how comfortable other cultures are with debate. Mm -hmm. And leaning into some conversations that I think a lot of people in this country are maybe told to not have. And I think it makes us lesser for it. And not talking about politics and religion and some of these other taboos that I actually love talking about those things. And overseas, you just, it's, you know, growing up with my friends, I had a Mormon friend, a Christian friend, a Muslim friend, and we just had fairly frank conversations about different worldviews. And it was really interesting. And everyone's trying to, to live a good life and is trying to be happy. And if you come at it from a sense of trust and you need a little bit of vocabulary and experience too, to talk about it outside of maybe a friend group, but I always loved having those conversations. You learn so much about other cultures, but about yourself too. And I think that's helped me in my analytics journey as well. One, I don't really love the word stakeholder, but just really empathizing with questions that people have in the business. And as someone who was in analytics because I was frustrated and wanted to do supply chain, I get that when you're coming to me with a ticket request to answer a simple question, that you'd probably rather do it yourself, right? Mm -hmm. You probably don't want <laughs> to go through an analytics bottleneck to answer a simple question like, what's our revenue by month by product? That's a simple SQL query for most data sets. Not being able to do that at scale for a lot of people is frustrating. Uh, at least I perceive it as frustrating. So just acknowledging people where they are and, and trying to help them out and, empath and just the empathy has been, been really helpful for me as well. I think too, just leaning into maybe some difficult conversations that need to be had, but having them in a way that they don't feel challenging, mm -hmm. subtly challenging some of the, the questions you get with the intent of finding the true question. And I think you really need to find the true question before you even think about finding the answer. Oh, why are like sort of the second or third order thinking, why are they asking this question in the first place? Mm -hmm. Where is this question going to be answered? Is this for an all hands? Like how right do I need to be? Um, is the person asking the question the person who's going to be held accountable for the analysis? Some of these things you, you think about may, maybe on, on the sidelines or uh, the ancillary questions that really help inform 
maybe the genesis of the question in the first place. And you can work with, with, with someone to maybe find a better question. I guess the la- last thing for me, I'm nerdy in that I like to think of culture as an equ- equation almost. And okay. you, you look at the different components of it. You have maybe religion, you have language, you have food, you have behaviors and norms. And you think a lot about, oh, if you don't speak the language of the country you're in, then you're, you're missing out on a lot. That's true. But there are all, there's still a lot of control you can have in understanding that equation. How, how much of the food have you tried? How much have you understood the, the beliefs and the mindset and the culture and the norms of, of where you are? Again, language is a huge component of that. That's been really helpful for me as I've transitioned into different companies as well and been on different teams, understanding that maybe I don't speak the business language yet, but if I can get a feel for the team and understand some of these other components of the calculation, it helps with my integration uh, into that environment as well. One of my um, my cute little taglines is a cultural chameleon. It's kind of, <laughs> I'm, kind of, I'm kind of embarrassed to say it out loud. I normally write it, but you can come in and kind of figure out where I am and then understand what equity I need to build in order mm-hmm. to start feeling a little bit more comfortable, uh, challenging, or being a bit more assertive with moving things along. I like listening a lot when I first join somewhere and just absorbing as much as I can and meeting people with the culture they're at as a shared language and then using that as a starting point to to go from. Mm-hmm. That's been my strategy. That's a great strategy. That leans into the next question and how you like to learn new things. So you like to turn into a chameleon, make everything an equation and kind of absorb everything. Is there any other way that you like to learn new things? Yeah, I have a few different strategies. One is, for lack of a better word, information dump. I just love collecting and hoarding information. (laughs) And I call it bookmarking just internally, Mm. where I like to have an internal filing system of really cool resources, whether it's a YouTube video or this amazing, truly amazing analytics content now on LinkedIn. You can get a lot of what you need to know on LinkedIn now if you know where to look. Mm-hmm. You, I think I mentioned YouTube University, just different articles. Um, and when I say YouTube University, I don't mean it. It's not a channel. It's just. Thank you for clarifying that because I almost yeah. dotted that down. Like, okay, YouTube University, that's a channel that I need to go check out. <laughs> that That's where I hope to send my, my daughter and it's free of charge. Mm-hmm. But again, I, I like the bookmarks. So I like to read a lot at maybe a cursory or a fast pace and say, this is interesting. Once I have an application for this, I'm going to come back to it. Mm-hmm. I think without a practical application, a lot of it, I, I find that I digest the theory at, at a much lower rate. So I file it away, scroll it away until I have a good use case for it, and then read all I can when I finally start connecting the dots and then get my hands dirty. You need to get your hands dirty to really cement some of the, that knowledge. At least that's what worked for me. Do you have a favorite book? Definitely not in the background going to my Goodreads account and looking up my uh, favorite books of all time on my mm-hmm. favorite books playlist on, on, on Goodreads. Um, <laughs> educational book. There's some really fun sort of didactic supply chain books that are told through story formats okay. that really help, really help me 
I guess, I guess pattern recognize some of the, the theoretical concepts you learn in supply chain and operations and then actually have it practically applied through um, the workplace. A lot of the supply chain and operations methodologies are pretty simple. Like mm-hmm. practically applying them is really hard. And getting buy-in um, for different kinds of workers on the factory floor as well as management, simple things like putting your tools away is such a huge cultural change, mm. let alone that you're you're working across multiple shifts as well as people who've been there probably for a long time. Mm-hmm. These are not things that are, it's not a SQL query that yeah. you're, or a DBT model. It, 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 this is change management, right? Hard mm-hmm. change management stuff. Um, I'm embarrassingly cannot remember the title of that book, but it was one of those that really changed my life and understanding i think a lot of people finish university thinking oh we're gonna change the world look at all these formulas why isn't everyone using them mm-hmm. and you realize actually change is really hard there's a lot of friction with change and whatever you can do to lessen that friction that's where you're going to see the most like, the true value multiplier mm-hmm. it's said another way later on in my career really learned how to sell it just working at that startup in Manhattan I was under the assumption that they hired me and they're going to love all the analytics I'm doing mm-hmm. not true <laughs> uh, <laughs> ha- having just because there's headcount approved and you've been hired into a role does not mean everyone is excited about you telling them that why is there 40 date columns in our Salesforce instance and which of the 10 revenue columns should we be using for analysis but that is kind of the the dirty laundry no one wants to air and if you don't have a, a messaging and a communication strategy about how you're going to tackle those those issues and how you sell people into what you're doing you're not really going to get off you're, if you get off the ground your horizon is going to be much longer than it needs to be a lot more fantasy books come to my mind um okay a, a, bit, a bit more easy easily any big ones that people would recognize? The Name of the Wind. I, I really love that book, Patrick Rothfuss. What I think it does a good job in doing is it's a fantasy book that kind of feels like it just happens to take place in the fantasy world. But it's oh. really just a Bildungsroman about a kid growing up. That, that's fun. And a, re- a recent one is a Brewery of the Orange Tree, too. That's a really beautiful series. And I think it, it approaches... I guess high fantasy or what you think of fantasy with a more modern take on just different representations on different groups, which is especially in fantasy, extremely underrepresented. And what's super cool about it is to have people with different kinds of relationships and that being normal rather than illicit is also fairly novel within the fantasy world. And it felt fairly refreshing to, to read a book like that. So that was really fun. Awesome. Well, do you have any final words of encouragement or recommendations for the listeners? I say what I'm about to say, not because I did it right the first time. These are just some of my lessons from really making a lot of mistakes. If you are new, if you're the first analytics resource, or if you are new in your analytics career, something that I found really helpful and a helpful lens to approach things is what I call like a crawl, walk, run approach. How can you demonstrate value early? It's not beautiful. Maybe it's a little bit messy, 
but you're showing people you're, you're moving toward where you need to go rather than trying to build a total solution. I, I, and you can do, I think they don't have to be mutually exclusive. You can do them in parallel. You can have messy wins to buy you time for a total, maybe automated scalable solution. So consider that as someone, as a, maybe a, re- a reformed perfectionist, um, I, I was just inhibited by handing over s- something that's 80% done that the dashboard isn't beautiful. And I, oh, I didn't you know, quite round this corner here. And I think I could have been more successful. I also don't regret a lot of those choices because I wouldn't be who I am now having made some of those things. But I, con- consider an incremental approach to, to value rather than maybe a, a, a total or a complete one. And I think you'll find that it's actually less work that way. Absolutely. Being incremental, checking in often, making sure that you're on the right path, always very helpful. Oh, you raised another great one, checking in often. This is something I learned the hard way too. No updates can still be an update. Yes, yes. <laughs> that That's probably been the most like, low-key thing I, I've learned is if a stakeholder reaches out to you two weeks later saying, hey, you still working on this? Like, oh, absolutely. I am eight hours a day grinding out this whatever spreadsheet for you or a calculation. Mm. I'm actively working on this. I think if they have to reach out to you, that is an indication and, and, or a warning sign of, of trust being lost, right? Mm-hmm. And even if it's no update every week in Slack or whatever system you use, say, hey, still working on this, struggling with this one portion, that keeps you in people's heads and it, they might say, actually, I don't need that anymore. <laughs> and <laughs> or worse, they forget about you and you've worked for four weeks on this and you've delivered it and oh, cool. But I really needed that for Q2 presentation. And now that's over. I don't really need it anymore. So yeah, okay, well, I'm going to go. I'm, I'm, I'm quitting early today <laughs> getting out of here because that's really a bummer to hear. Um, so consider yes. crawl, crawl, walk, run and no communication or no updates is still, still can be an update. Those are kind of two philosophies I, I adhere to. I think has really helped me in my career. I love that. Final horror story in relation to that. Um, I had an experience where um, this person was sending a report on, I think maybe a monthly basis for years right? Never just sending it out, sending it out, sending it out, not ever communicating with the stakeholder. Come to find out because I, as the auditor was asking, you know, what is this report? Who is it going to? Asking all the questions, right? And they're like, I don't know. I just send it out. And so they did more research. They weren't sending it to anybody. It was an empty mailbox for who knows how long. And so always check in and make sure that the people are actually using uh, the dashboards or products or whatever have you. Um, and, and so that you're not doing work for no reason. <laughs> yeah. I, I take a very uh, maybe extreme approach to some of those things. <laughs> I just, I just start deleting stuff and seeing who um, shouts. There you and go. again, extreme, but a lot of times trying to figure out who all the stakeholders are, for, and if you don't have usage tracking, or maybe you do, who, who is actually using what and it, is it adding value is probably not a question you're going to get an answer to if you put a blast on Slack saying, 
hey, is anyone still using this dashboard? It looks like no one's checked in in the last 30 days. I just delete it. (laughs) And if someone (laughs) shouts and, oh, oh, sorry about that, system maintenance. Um, But I I found that that's the quickest way to to start to shore up some of your debt and Mm -hmm. get rid of some of the dependencies and some of the decisions you you made that maybe aren't, aren't relevant anymore. Getting people to actually answer truly if it's adding value and people just want to keep stuff because they want they want stuff get rid of it awesome those are really great takeaways uh great conversations and thank you so very much for being on the show with us if anybody has any questions where can they find or follow you yeah i think the, the best way to get in touch with me is um by uh, carrier pigeon. That's generally how I prefer my communication. Um, no, I just LinkedIn's fine. I'm not active on any other social media other than LinkedIn. And um, I'm actually looking forward to not checking it as much now that I've accepted a new full-time role and decided oh. to take a little, excited to take a little bit of a break from that, that rodeo. <laughs> it, it can be a lot, but also, mm-hmm. well, maybe just a different portion of it. Cause there's, you included just posting such I think never I think now is really the feels like the best time to be in analytics like we're getting the, the coolest tools there is so much conversation about there out there about challenging the primacy of the modern data stack and you know how much is warranted and there's a lot of amazing thought leaders out there and if you want to I'd argue to stay relevant, you need to be follow, following people on LinkedIn because that's where the incremental thought processing is happening. And once people have kind of formulated their thoughts through a bunch of LinkedIn posts, they maybe put it into a Substack or a medium or maybe a long form, but I feel like we are seeing change real time and it's super cool. So now I just won't go to the jobs tab on LinkedIn. I don't, I don't there you go. And hopefully you will share your experiences. You can kind of convert over to sharing on LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's, a, it's, a cool, uh, it's a cool medium. Awesome. Well, thank you again so very much, Connor, for being on the show. And as always, folks, happy learning. Do I leave or do I? You have to leave out that door right behind you. Oh, okay. (laughs)